Hey, Pop-Tarts listeners, this is Emily, and I just wanted to give you a heads up that the episode that you're about to hear was recorded right after we started quarantining from home, and the sound quality is not what we had hoped. We're releasing it anyway because we think it's pretty funny, um, but I just want you to know that we are doing everything we can to make the next episode and the one after that and however many that we have to record from home each better every single time until we have perfected it. And then I'm sure at that point, we'll be able to go back to our studio at Bust Headquarters. So please bear with us. We appreciate your support. And now on with the show. You're listening to the Pop-Tart Podcast. Girl down. You already know. I really appreciated your verbal cues like back that ass up and move, bitch. Yeah, I'm fat. <laughs> I'm a YouTube, so I don't care. Oh, so that's why you hate fat people, because you hate yourself. I got it. All of these things have nothing to do with this yoking of the light and the dark within ourselves. And it's like I found an instrument inside of myself. It's really like just trying to let our souls sing. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop-Tarts. Me, me, me. I'm Emily Rems. And I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors at Bust Magazine, usually in Brooklyn, New York, but right now from home. Today on the podcast, we are going to get physical with award-winning yoga instructor, intersectional activist, and founder of the Underbelly Virtual Yoga Studio, Jessamine Stanley. She first rose to fame in 2012 through her Instagram posts showing her doing high-level yoga as a plus-size woman of color. Self-identifying online as a queer fat femme, she's helped coax legions of women who previously felt alienated by the privileged, skinny white world of yoga into the practice right along with her. And now she's one of the most influential yoga personalities working today. We featured Jessamine in Bust in 2017 when her book, Everybody Yoga, Let Go of Fear, Get on the Mat, Love Your Body, first came out. And now we are thrilled to have her on the show. Welcome, Jessamine. Thank you so much for having me and for that really effusive intro. I was like, <laughs> okay, that sounds really nice. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's who you are. That's what you're about. Right. Uh, <laughs> Jessamine, you represent to me a perfect representation of how something like yoga can make the transition into pop culture when a particularly magnetic personality with a strong point of view is doing the teaching. I would love it if you could tell our audience about your journey from someone who as a teenager didn't even like yoga into the multimedia superstar you are today. You know, <laughs> I honestly, I just consider myself to be a yoga practitioner. Like as much as I, you know, work in different types of media and and create as a need, like honestly, it's just something that I feel like even outside of yoga, I would just have to do. I really just feel like ultimately I'm just trying to live my own yoga. I'm just trying to live my own practice because honestly, like I never cared about yoga at all. I thought it was just for thin white women. I was like, this has nothing to do with me. I went to a yoga class once when I was in high school and just absolutely hated it. It was like one of the worst experiences of my life on even now. I still think that. And when I 
finally went back, it was only because one of my friends just wore me down. She was obsessed with Bikram yoga at the time. It's a style of hot yoga. And she was just, she was like, oh my God, it's just going to change your life. You have to do it. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I've tried, I tried yoga before. I, I knew I wasn't into it. And, but she got me ultimately just on, like, you could just do this Groupon and it won't cost that much money <laughs> if you go once it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll go. And I went and like, I was the only fat person. I was like one of the only black people. It was very, very alienating. And also like none of the postures came easily to me. Like even just sitting cross-legged was painful to me. Like to sit on my shins with my knees bent was impossible to me. So this, like, it wasn't like I went and I was just like, oh my God, I'm magically so flexible. It was like, no, this is bullshit. Like everything about this is awful. <laughs> and but I didn't realize it. So at the time I was really depressed when I finally um started to when I finally went back to yoga. And um I mean I'm prone to depression and anxiety, so it wasn't the first time, wasn't the last time. I, I didn't realize it, but a lot of the anxiety that I was experiencing was coming from not letting myself move outside of the boundaries that I created for myself. Like I kind of decided the type of person I was going to be. And I'd come to this point in my life where like that didn't match up with what was actually happening. And yoga allowed me this space to explore myself beyond those boundaries and really think of myself in a really different way and experience life really differently. I didn't have any in, in interest in teaching yoga to anyone else. It gave me the confidence to leave graduate school where I was at the time and move to a new town, like start a whole new life. I didn't have the money to practice yoga in studios, so I started practicing yoga at home and developed this home practice that I would share with people through social media. And this was back before Instagram got really popular. It was back whenever it was mostly just like college students who were on there. And I posted my yoga practice because I just want to engage with other practitioners. And in my home practice, I just felt like really, really um, isolated. And so I wanted to be able to connect with other people about how my postures looked and all this shit. And eventually I realized that the response I was getting from people wasn't really people being like giving me feedback about my practice. It was mostly just people being like, I didn't know fat people could do yoga. And I was just like, why do you think fat people can't do yoga? Fat people do all kinds of stuff all the time. And obviously what we have here is just a visibility issue. So that definitely spurred me to continue like, talking about my practice because I realized that like there was a need for more visibility but like I didn't really have any interest in teaching yoga it wasn't something that I had I mean I was on a very different life path and career path and it basically got to a point where like I'd had a lot of um, or I'd had some press mentions and I had a lot of people reach out to me asking me to come teach them like all over the world. 
And I would recommend other teachers and platforms and stuff. And I was like, you don't need for me to come teach you. There are literally thousands of yoga teachers. Like, why do you need for me to come teach you? And it eventually got to a place where I was like, okay, I guess this is something that I could do. Like, I couldn't afford to go to teacher training. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in debt from a graduate degree that I have not finished. So, like, I was just like, uh, maybe I could raise the money somehow. And What's your graduate degree that you didn't finish? It's in, (laughs) that I'm, I'm technically on a leave of absence on a performing arts management degree. So it's like nonprofit arts. I was like, I can't afford to do this. And one day I was talking to my dad about it. And I mean, my father does not give a fuck about Instagram. Like he does not care about like anything that I was doing at that point. And he really didn't care about yoga, but my mom had told him about these, he was pissed that I left grad school. So like every time that I saw him, he was just like, when are you going back to school? What's the deal? And um, one day he was like, well, your mom told me about, you know, this yoga thing, what's going on with that? And I was just like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I don't know. And he was like, well, are you going to become a teacher? Like, what are you going to do with this? And I was just like, well, I don't know. I just, I don't have the money. And he was like, well, how much money does it cost? And I was like, it's $3,000. And he was like, well, what if we could help you find that money? Like, would you go then? Because it seems like you need to do this. And I was just like, if this guy is saying that the guy who, I mean, I can't tell you how few fucks he had to give about (laughs) any of this I was like if he's saying this then that's the universe and so I I think of myself very much as before YTT yoga teacher training and after YTT because before YTT I really didn't understand the reason that there needed to be that there need to be so many yoga teachers but after YTT I understood that it's really because we all have our own unique journeys and everybody's yoga is different there's not like a fat people yoga and a black people yoga and a you know a thin people yoga and a white person yoga there's not all of these different things there's like a different yoga practice for each human being and we all have to honestly and authentically live our practices and not everyone is going to resonate with my practice and the way that I share my practice but even one person could and if I could make space for at least one person to do introspective work to look within themselves to try to find some sense of okay with the light and the dark of life, then that's reason to teach. And so after that, I literally just made a list of everywhere, everyone, everywhere that people had asked me to teach them. And in my mind, I'm still just gradually working down that list. So like I teach live classes all over the world, but I can't physically be in the room with everybody. So the best way to try to reach a large number of people is to teach online classes. So that's where my yoga studio, The Underbelly was born, which is now available internationally and across many different streaming platforms and can be found at theunderbelly.com. But that was really just like, I wanna try to reach more people and I can't physically be everywhere. And then on top of that though, like not everybody likes to practice yoga physically. Like some people just want to read about it. So that's why I wrote Everybody Yoga. It's why I write in general and create trying to under to find words to attach to this experience that really is so accessible to everyone and anyone at any point in their life. 
And so I started my podcast, Dear Jessamine, because I wanted to talk about themes that people don't typically think are yoga, but that absolutely are. And our first season, Polyamory is Not for Everybody, is really just about like this idea that our lovers and the people that we're in relationships with are really our greatest yoga teachers. So there's a lot <laughs> that I do. But ultimately, it's like, I'm just trying to live my yoga and just live it for myself. And unintentionally, it ends up inspiring and influencing others. I am so glad that you brought up your podcast because that is exactly where I was going to go next. <laughs> yeah. You just effortlessly ushered me right in there. Uh, so on Dear Jessamine, which is a bi-weekly cannabis-infused sexual advice podcast where you and your girlfriend answer questions from your Instagram DMs, you're very, very candid on there about smoking weed <laughs> and being polyamorous and all manner of other things, and it's amazing, and I love it. And Thank it makes you. me think about how conservative and weirdly straight-edge many of the yoga spaces I've been in have been in the past and i wonder <laughs> do you feel pushback from the broader yoga industrial complex is this just another way in which you're an outlier how much of the professional yoga world is religious as opposed to this extreme <laughs> secularity thank you so much for asking about this I think of myself as a modern yoga practitioner. To me, modern yoga is different from classical yoga, which is based in South Asian culture. It's a, like much of it is based in Hinduism and Buddhism and, and I just don't find Jainism. And I just don't find that that has anything to do with my practice. When within modern yoga, I feel like most modern yoga practitioners are honestly, if there is a religion, the religion is capitalism. <laughs> the religion is consumerism. <laughs> and so people generally have a problem if what you're saying is conflicting with them making money. But it's like, so that if you can't make them money in the way that they decided to make money, then what you're saying has no value to them. So I have found that that is where I get more pushback than anything else, is that I talk about things like, that people in the yoga world would much rather just pretend are not happening. <laughs> and it's, which is so weird to me because I think that us actually engaging with all of these difficult topics is our yoga. Like that's what yoga is. <laughs> that's our collective experience. When I receive that pushback, cause yeah, there's plenty of pushback. And I mean, like it's, it's showing, it goes from showing naked and or half naked photos of myself to talking openly about sex to talking about politics to talking about cannabis all of these different things like people are so offended by like anyone who just wants to actually talk about the realities of life and I I just think it's really interesting and really beautiful and really like I mean I don't know I think that I mean I'm I'm an internet kid, you know, like I grew up with blogs and I enjoy that people can give feedback and like, and can give pushback. And I think that, I think that yoga is so complex and so modern yoga, especially really needs to be shaken up. 
And I just, I'm into the shaking up. Like, I don't, I really, I think the pushback is great. And mostly I don't even get pushback to my face, which is very interesting to me. Mm. I get more of like, there's a lot of people who troll me who I think might be these like angry yoga people, but like secret mm. accounts. That's, that's one of my theories about the trolls, but you know, that's, they're fun too. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all out like I don't know I I think it's um I think it's really interesting and my opinion on this has definitely evolved over time though because when I first started sort of branching out about the things that I would talk about I felt very self-conscious about it and very like like oh no the the boogeyman's gonna come get me because I said some shit that I shouldn't have said and then I was just like what is the, are you really living your yoga if you're not just going to talk about what you think? And I mean, one of the things that's interesting about uh, talking about polyamory on Dear Jessamine is that there are a lot of people who are in polyamorous relationships, but they just wouldn't call it that. Or they are exploring polyamory, but they wouldn't call it that. And so it's very interesting to me to engage with how we define things when we don't talk about things. And and really, be- again, I think it's really beautiful, but it's, yeah. I mean, so lots of things there, <laughs> lots of feelings there. <laughs> All right. So in 2019, you launched your app, The Underbelly. It's a virtual yoga studio designed to cultivate a community around inclusivity, representation, and body acceptance. I did a 40-minute class in the Earth Series on Sunday, and I'm still sore right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and I really appreciated your verbal cues, like, back that ass up and move, bitch. Like, I felt that. Um, you keep the mood light which is so helpful when a person is doing something hard. And mm-hmm. when you launched, coronavirus had not driven everyone indoors yet. So I'm curious how this current ongoing crisis is shaping the future of the app. Right now, I'm pretty sure there's like 30 videos on there. Do you have plans to expand? Has there been feedback from folks who are new to moving their bodies inside in their oh homes? Oh my gosh. Again, thank you so much for asking about this because it's really giving me the space to like really think about it because it's all been happening so fucking fast. It's just like it's happening. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, okay, so coronavirus, okay, we're inside, okay. I mean, like the main thing that has really shifted for me is just wanting to meet people where they are. I mean, like legit, I started the underbelly because I wanted to create like my dream yoga space. I wanted to have a studio that wasn't owned by white men, that the the teachers are not trotted out like horses. I really wasn't even thinking about like, it's kind of weird to say this, but I wasn't thinking so much about who I would be practicing with. I was like, I just, people want to find my classes. I want for them to be able to come to a place that I co-sign where these are where my classes are. But coronavirus has opened my whole fucking eye. Like it has really opened me up to what virtual studios can really offer. Because I think that we get so obsessed with this experience of like going to a studio and meeting a teacher and meeting the people who go to the studio and like having this kind of connection that's like based on 
these masks that we wear. It's not really based on genuinely engaging with yourself, which is what yoga actually is. And I, I feel like the digital yoga studio has the opportunity to allow people to both have community and also really explore themselves without being distracted by the other people who are in the room. And seeing so many people who maybe would never have tried digital classes, seeing those same people being forced to do digital and seeing how they're like, oh shit, actually this isn't really all that different from going to a live class and it's way more convenient because I can just do it whenever. I'm just so excited that more people are practicing yoga that I almost forget that I have a studio where people are going to practice yoga. <laughs> but then when I remember that, I'm like, okay, so how can I, how can we really bring this to people? Like, we launched with the amount of content that I was like, okay, yeah, this is enough to just sort of, this is enough to get going. And I think that these are, this is like my dream, my dream sort of sequencing that like, if I was starting yoga from the beginning, this is where I would start. And then I realized, and like, we've cut, we've shot all of this other content that we're, that we'll be launching this month. So here, this is, man, whew. I can slide it in there. Yes. So we're launching new content this month and we'll launch it periodically just from here on out. But I really wasn't that pressed about it until I started to think about the live experience and really being able to just have like feel like you're there with the teacher but also and like that the teacher can engage with you too and we can really be having like a shared yoga practice not you know, just really being able to have this intimacy, but at the same time, you are in the privacy of your own home and you don't feel embarrassed to fart. You don't feel embarrassed <laughs> if your pants fall down. And if you're, you're, you don't even have to find childcare because your kids can be the, right there next to you. And, you know, the dog can do a down dog on you, you know, like we can have all of that happen and still have this beautiful collective experience. So, I mean, I've received all kinds of feedback about the underbelly from, I mean, literally, like from people who have never practiced yoga before and who are just honestly so fucking thrilled to like be able to breathe quietly by themselves, all the way to people who have been practicing for decades and are like, you're the first teacher that's ever told me that it's okay to have a belly, that it's okay to have an ass. Like you're the first person that's ever said that to me. So I've received all of this feedback that personally I find really hard to receive because as a teacher, like I'm not even really trying to I think that everyone is ultimately teaching themselves. I'm just holding space. So it's kind of hard for me to engage with that feedback. But what I'm really realizing because of this new age that we've stepped into is that the kind of connectivity that we can all have together through that app is really, really, really important. And it has nothing to do with metrics or capitalist variables it's just because we're going through some really scary shit and it's scary for everybody there's nobody who's left out of the scary and frankly it's always been this way I kind of think that this era is just shining a light on where all the cracks have always been but more than ever now it's important that we bind together and that we find that love within ourselves so that we can reflect it to others and I'm just grateful to be anywhere near carrying that message forward.
I feel it. I'm ready for more underbelly. Bring it on. Hey, it's coming. It's coming right at you. It's coming right to I, you. <laughs> I would like to talk about exercise gurus as pop culture personalities. Oh, my goodness. From what I understand, I feel like Jack LaLanne was the creator of this art form when he launched his TV show in 1951. And then, of course, Jane Fonda became the queen of the VHS workout tape in 1982. She sold 17 million VHS tapes. My favorite have always been Richard Simmons and Susan Powder because they are both stone cold (laughs) freaks on every level. They're just like from Bizarro Land. With these references, yes, please. But then I had a problematic fave relationship with Jillian Michaels and Bob Harper from The Biggest Loser. They are are people who I feel like legitimately hurt me psychologically, mostly because I feel like they actually legitimately hate fat people. And that show was an excuse for them to scream in fat people's faces until like the fat people puked and collapsed. That show was attractive to me. The Biggest Loser was attractive to me because as a large person, I had never seen people who looked like me being athletic on television before. And I was riveted and I, I tuned in every week to see people who looked like me like being athletic. But to this day, I really felt fucked up watching it. I want to know who your faves are in this genre. And are there folks out there who you feel are harming people the way that Jillian and Bob harmed me? What? a magnificent question first of all i just need to say that i fully identify with everything that you were saying about biggest loser and there's i mean i know there have been studies written about like (laughs) the impact of this show in particular because it's such a weird thing it's it's very much how i felt i talked about this a little bit in everybody yoga but it's very much how i felt about weight watchers that it's like it's this fucked up diet culture thing where you're also low-key getting at the hard part so like the hard part for me has always just been talking about it like talking about why I have issues with food like why I have I mean because these are things that like I don't know how else to even I don't know how else to talk about this I know that in um in fat acceptance communities, this is a very touchy subject, but like, I have always felt that like, just being able to communicate with other people who have the same experiences that you have brings up so much beautiful shit. And it doesn't have anything to do with losing weight. It's just being able to talk to other people. So like, that's what they did on The Biggest Loser that I really, that's what drew me into that show because they really got into like, okay, let's talk about what happened with your father or your mother. Like you've hated yourself your whole life. Like, let's talk about that. And I'd be like, no, me too. And then at the same time, they're feeding this negative shit into it where it's like, Yes, hate yourself, hate yourself, fat person. Go until you will, like, throw up, literally. Like, you have to lose 30 pounds in a week? Are you kidding me? What is this? Like, what are we talking about? So, like, I feel you about having this relationship with specific people, too, and being like, you, I cannot with you because you have ingested the shit. And when you're saying it, when you were saying that, I was just thinking, like, Jillian Michaels, I remember part of her story is that she's, like, a former fat kid. And she's like, has her issues around her fat identity. And I'm just like, 
oh, so that's why you hate fat people because you hate yourself. I got it. it. It's really intense. And, and I think, I mean, I don't, I can't remember Bob's story, but I feel like it's something similar to that. There are a lot of people online who are spewing that same ideology. And I, I mean, I would say that like 97% of the fitness professionals on social media who are like building a brand on changing people's lives, they're feeding some kind of disgusting narrative that is going, that's permanently fucking people up. Like, I don't, and I mean, my thing is like, I can't really recite names other than the ones that we've already talked about, because I just have removed these people from my feeds. Like, it's hard to even be, one of the things that people, um, always are like, what, like, what, what would you recommend for someone who like wants to have a better body image? And I'm like, if you are on social media, if you engage with anything, curate your shit so that you're not being fed messages that are not helpful to your life. And I've found that I've done that to the degree where there's people I'm like, I can't even think of anybody that I'm like, yeah, this person specifically, I'm mad at them. But I do know that Jillian Michaels, for sure, ha- I have a very complicated relationship with her. And Jillian and- Michaels went after Lizzo. You have to be I so deep see- in it to go after Lizzo. I was like, girl, please put a cork in it. It is 20. 20- this was the- earlier this year, right? I was just like, girl... Why are you out here literally talking about things like like we are so far beyond where Jillian Michaels would literally be out here talking about Lizzo could have wish that she had died like she's gonna have diabetes or gonna have oh, cancer or something. I, I was that. like, if you don't get out of here with your schoolyard ass tweets, Jillian Michaels, like she's so I mean, like my thing is people like that feel threatened by fat acceptance. They feel threat they because they see that their whole um their livelihood is based in convincing people to believe something that that someone like Lizzo spits in the face of so that she's like, I have to say literally whatever I can to make her feel bad. And it's like, bitch, Lizzo don't care about you. Nobody cares about what you're talking about. And that's why you're over here talking nonsense (laughs) because actually Lizzo might really enjoy a Jillian Michaels workout. You know what I mean? Like you don't know anything about what people are doing. And it's just, I don't really, when I hear stuff like that, to me, it's the same as like, like uh, white supremacists shouting at kids who are integrating schools in the South. It's like, you're just out here mad about stuff that doesn't even, it's not even relevant. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of fitness people. Man, I w- I'm just trying to think of like one person. But then everybody that I can think of is somebody that like, I'm kind of friends with, you know, so that I'm like, I feel like I get where they're coming from. And I don't think that they need ill by it. So that I also feel you like- You don't need to trash anybody. <laughs> you're a, You're a pop culture fitness personality. Like just coming up, was there someone- a pop culture fitness personality that you gravitated towards before you became one yourself? Well, definitely the person that I've always been very inspired by, she is also a yoga teacher. Um, Her name is Catherine Budig. She is a, you can find her classes on yogaglow.com. She had a huge impact on me, but it was largely because, and I mean, like she's been white, very different than I am. And, um, we, I just really felt a connection with her though, because she was 
really being herself and really being honest and authentic. But to be completely honest, like I was not, I, uh, I just never really got into, aside from the biggest losers specifically, I never really got into like fitness culture shit before. Like I was really, like I got obsessed with losing weight when I was in college. But before that, I think I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm fat. Like, I'm gonna eat pizza. I don't really care. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh no, there's a problem with this. I was always really bad at sports. Like I wasn't athletic and I didn't have, I don't know that I really had like a push toward any particular person. My mother has been obsessed with juicing my entire life. And so Jack Lalonde was a huge part of my life. She had all, my mom is really into wellness and really into like healthy foods and shit like that. So like, um, Susan Powder was like, her books were around the house. Like I was really, yeah, yeah. I was really like a lot of the people that you mentioned, I'm like, yeah, no, I know that I definitely know of them. And, and even like, um, I li- I listened to did did you listen That's to so dark what was it missing Richard Simmons yes, or, um, yes. Like, oh, that good. podcast was everything it was everything and I feel like that that made me kind of wish that I'd been into Richard Simmons because I was like he seems like a very interesting it's person never too late <laughs> That's what YouTube is for <laughs> but I didn't you know um I just recently watched that documentary about Jane Fonda and they were talking about how she all of the money from the, her VHS workout tapes went to her political organization. And like, she, she was like fucking, she was out here for the cause, like hustling, what's jazzercise? Jane Fonda aerobic, aerobics. Like she was out here hustling she aerobics for, no, that was, uh, for the cause. No, that was Suzanne Summers. <laughs> Suzanne Summers. Oh man. I did love Step by Step. But I didn't really see it for like, like I didn't feel care about the thigh master so much. I don't know. Maybe I'm an outlier. I might be an outlier on this. Okay. So I, in terms of physical activity for myself, I really try to do things that I actually enjoy and that are not torture. Oh, my yeah. top, my top three things are dancing, swimming, and yoga. And in my life, I've taken lots of classes in all of these areas. And as far as I can recall, I have been the largest person in every class I have ever taken in my entire life, with the exception of when I was in fat camp, which we will set up. <laughs> I will try to, you know, like in all of these classes, I tried to pretend that it's not an issue, but there have been some environments where I felt too uncomfortable to return. Like what advice do you have for folks like me who want to participate, but are also on the shy side when it comes to being stared at and judged for being so different from everybody else? My biggest advice, cause I am this person, like I do not like going out to, I don't even really like going to yoga classes where like, I don't know the teacher or know the style or like, like if there's a lot of different things where I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to that. <laughs> like, I don't love just trying out new styles of um, athletic activity because it's really, it gives me so much anxiety. And the only place that I've ever really been able to not feel that is doing things at home. I have a spin bike that I use for Peloton classes. I would go out to spin classes. That has a lot to do with time more than anything. But like lifting weights, I feel really self-conscious in the gym. So I have like a weight set at home. But even if you can't afford to do shit like that, 
just getting like taking free yoga classes online, being able to build up the confidence at home so that you can carry that confidence outside, I just think is so crucial because a lot of the a lot of the worry and fear doesn't come from like not being able to do it. It comes from what other people will think about you not being able to do it. And I feel like practicing what it is to harness that confidence and strength at home and then carrying that out into the outside world is really, really helpful. You might even, you might live somewhere where like there's not an inclusive teacher nearby. There's not like, and I mean, even if you do, you might have to try a bunch of places before you even find that, um, that teacher style that really works. I think that activities that don't involve other people are also really helpful. Like swimming, like you were talking about, like swimming is lit because you literally don't need to be doing that with anybody else. Like you just do it yourself. Running is also dope. And one of the things that can suck about running though, and there are so many people like the Mernovator, uh, Running Chef, LaToya, El Shante, all these people on um, Instagram, fat runners, I feel like they really get to this point that like one of the things that can suck the most is just getting catcalled, like having people having people be abusive to you while you're trying to just get your heart rate up. So I feel like finding places where you don't have to engage with other people is really helpful for me. But the reality is that inevitably you're going to have to and you're going to go out to CrossFit or yoga or a bar or whatever the fuck. And you're going to go out and there's going to be some douche who's looking at you like you don't deserve to be there. And the only way that I've ever been able to deal with that is by just remembering that whenever people are, are projecting negative energy onto me, it's only because they feel that for themselves. And ultimately, if I can recognize that feeling that they're having within myself, then I can feel compassion toward that person and try not to let whatever they're dealing with become a part of what I'm doing. It's one of the four agreements. They say, um, it's like, don't take it personally. And it's so hard. I'm a cancer. I take everything personally. It's like, thing, like people not even talking about me. I'm taking it personally. So like, I get that this is not easy going, but I do think it's the only way ultimately because like, and usually the people, the people who offend you the most and who can make it the hardest are the instructors, or like are the teacher or whatever. And then, and in those situations, I think it's helpful to know that like you can tell them that they have made you feel uncomfortable and should tell them. And you can also just leave. You can just go. You just don't. Maybe you paid for it and maybe you paid to learn that lesson because that you didn't need to be there. I've walked out of so many classes. I mean, classes with teachers that I actually really like. And I mean, I think that you can. And I mean, the same thing goes for an online experience. Maybe you start to feel judged by the teacher in the video I don't this happens it's a thing you know and like if that happens just cut the video off who cares like don't it's not a big deal and I think as much as the yoga teacher in me wants to say like that's a place for introspection think about what 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 feelings did that bring up for you blah blah, blah. have a therapy <laughs> but like also don't you know just like move on with your life and and know that you are strong and powerful and that you were made for this Oh, thank you. I feel empowered by you. <laughs> oh, and that's the truth. <laughs> uh, I would like to ask you about 
your yoga journal cover story for a moment, if I may. <laughs> please, please do. Okay. So in January 2019, you were on the cover of Yoga Journal, which is amazing. Congratulations and mazel tov to you for that. Less amazing is the fact that for this issue, they decided to do a double cover and they put a skinny white woman on one and then they put you on the other. And it's not like they do double covers all the time. They just happen to for yours. And many, many people, myself included, gave this a major side eye. I don't know if you can see, but my eyes are to the side. I see. Their brand director issued an apology. So she knew what they did was wrong. But I'm curious to hear your take on it. I'm you are so liberty glad share. that you asked and I am at liberty <laughs> to share and I appreciate you asking because it it was quite a surprise to me. I went to Barnes and Noble to get my copy. I was very excited to be the first fat person on the cover of Yoga Journal, first certainly first fat black person and um, it felt like the culmination of a lot to me and when I went to look at the issue I was confused because the issue that was the first one in the stack was not a picture of me and I really had this whole like had a I had a bit of an aha moment in the Barnes and Noble periodical section because I thought wow so I found the issue realized what must have happened and the main thing that struck me was that I was not surprised there was a part of me that I think had almost like kind of expected for something like this to happen. Because I knew that an institution like Yoga Journal, when they would make the decision to diversify like this, they've never had somebody who looks like me on the cover, that they might be feeling like, maybe we should find a way to hedge our bets. I didn't think that they would pick that way, but I was, I was very surprised. And the main thing that came up for me after I felt angry, which obviously, but after that, I thought, wow, what did I think was going to happen when I received the approval of this predominantly white institution that has a very, they have basically no history of diversity. What did I think was going to happen? Did it, did I think that was going to mean that I was a good person now that I'm, I'm a real yoga person now that this validates my practice somehow that, that all the years of practice have been building up to being approved by a white guy. Is that what I thought? I had this whole come to Jesus moment around where my self-worth lies and what that means within my practice. And truly, I felt so grateful for that. I feel so grateful for that experience because that's my yoga. That's one of the many things that I have to reckon with. And it took this experience for that to happen. And one of the things that was particularly interesting to me about it was the I so when it happened, the uh, brand director reached out and was like, "We don't want to make a statement until we've talked to you about this." And when we spoke, she was like, being very apologetic, and you know, she didn't know how I must be feeling, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember she said that um, 
she was upset about it because she thought that it distracted from the conversations that Yoga Journal had wanted to start through me. And I just thought, and I said, I think Yoga Journal started exactly the conversation that it needed to start. Because really what the yoga community has been needing for way too long is conversations around race, around fat phobia, around privilege, around the responsibility of our like uh, industry, like industry institutions. Like we needed for this to be broken open like that. And I think that if they wanted to start conversations that they did a really great job starting a conversation. It's not the conversation that they wanted to have, but that's irrelevant to the larger point. And, you know, I think that um, a lot of the conversations in yoga are just about nonsense. You know, people are worshiping handstands and coconut water and, and thinking that the best <laughs> leggings are going to make them a, a good yoga practitioner and that you're a yogi so long as you can afford to shop at Lululemon. And like all of these things have nothing to do with this yoking of the light and the dark within ourselves and it's really interesting to me what happens whenever people are forced to have those hard conversations and in that way I'm really grateful to be a part again like I'm just grateful to be a part of it I'm grateful to be close to it but when it happened yeah it fucking sucked it was awful and I really appreciated <laughs> it and I was really pissed and but there was also all of this other work to be done on it as well well, I'm so glad I asked. That was a, a hell of an answer, if I do say so. <laughs> I, I would say that you have a robust following of students, of fans, and of supporters, because there are so many of us out in the world that we're hungry for representation in the yoga space, and you represent that to so many people. But there are other teachers who have a cult following because they are, in fact, running a cult. <laughs> What are some warning signs that folks should look out for when experimenting with yoga communities? In this world, I've seen lines get blurry very fast. Oh, yeah. What would you, as a member of that world, say to the intrepid yogini? <laughs> I think that any, any uh, lineage where they are encouraging you to defer to singular people like if they're saying like one person knows more than anyone else and you should be doing what they say blindly to any degree blindly like whether it's like you have to read this book you have to follow this doctrine you have to do this anytime that you have to do something in yoga that's a red flag and that's going to be a lot of red flags i'm sure that's a lot of different <laughs> schools of thought where people are like yeah you definitely have to read this book you have to do that thing there's nothing that you have to do but yoke the light in the dark inside of you and the main thing that you don't need to do is look to any other human being for true guidance, because the most that other humans can do is create space for you to have the same journey that they're having. But if they're implying that they're sitting on a different level than you are, that they know more than you or like are at a different place, then that I would say that that's a really big red flag. And I hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the ass later, though it definitely seems like something that like it'll be like jasmine 20, 20 years from now jasmine do you remember when you said this but i mean i really think that's the problem i mean when you look at um bikram yoga is a great example of um a lot of i mean i don't know if y'all have 
listened to any of the podcasts or read any of the or seen the any documentary. Of the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of sexual assault within um, the Bikram yoga lineage and stemming from Bikram Chaudhuri, the founder. And this is extremely common in yoga, like sexual assault is, it is alarmingly common. But I think that like, a lot of that comes from people from a culture of like, deferring to one person and being like this person knows more or sits on a pedestal to any degree and it's a hard thing I think as a teacher even because like we're really encouraged to think that that's how we should be I see how this happened you believe that you have to give an impression of something that is more than what you actually are I always think of um teaching yoga really to me it's like it's like I found an instrument inside of myself and it's very walking dead finding this instrument it's like I like ripped my <laughs> interior organs open and I like rip them open and I pull out this instrument and I've never seen this instrument before I don't know how to play it but I I start cleaning off the gunk and the goop on it and I start just trying to play it and I'm not playing a song. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just making noise mostly. And um, someone walks up to me and they're like, where'd you get that instrument from? And I'm like, bitch, I found it inside myself. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, you think I have an instrument inside of me? And I'm like, I don't know, you could check. And so then they dig inside themselves and they find an instrument inside themselves and they start cleaning it off and it's a totally different instrument than the instrument that I'm playing like it's not it, it's not the same at all they don't know how to play it either I don't know how to play it but they just start trying to play their instrument and we're just sitting here playing our instruments and over time other people come up to us and they see us playing and they start looking for their own instruments and before you know it it's just a room full of people blaring on these instruments that they're learning to play and we're not all playing the same song and we're not trying to teach each other we're just playing our music and trying to live it's really like just trying to let our souls sing and I think that as long as that is what the practice feels like as long as you're just holding space with other human beings because I've had teachers who I feel like they are giving me point by point what I need to be doing with my life but all they were actually doing was just being themselves they were just living their life just trying to live their yoga but if you're with someone who's telling you that you need to defer to them that's a red flag that's what I think. But I could, I'm sure I there's lots that. of things. That sounds legit. <laughs> Jessamine Stanley, are oh. you a feminist? I am a feminist. <laughs> I am a feminist. <laughs> it's just you can not say that. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you say that you're a feminist. <laughs> Uh, I would like to know how your career in yoga has informed your feminism or vice versa. Mm, 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 <laughs> very, I like that question. Okay. I think that, um, I think that yoga has informed my feminism so that I'm able to understand more this concept of equality because really that's all feminism is it's just like it's like can we all just be on the same level can we just get on the same level and it's not no one's saying more or less it's just same being a feminist at my core I do think helps me to like 
think differently and to be like, to see that there's, there's a depth that perhaps is not necessarily available on the surface. I've over time come to feel like feminism is really like white feminism and that it is really limited by a lot of different unspoken, but very much present boundaries. And so it feels like it's kind of a hard thing to come to terms. It's It's been a hard thing for me to come to terms with. I don't think there's ever been a point where I would have said that I was not a feminist, but I've definitely had conflict around it. Ultimately, like, again, I feel like it just comes down to equality. And this last question isn't usually complex, but we're in complex times. So <laughs> What are your hopes and your dreams and your plans for 2020? Ooh. And as an addendum to that, what is the first thing that you'll do when we're no longer quarantined? I have much hope for the future. And I'm, I've been very excited for everything that the Underbelly is doing this year. I mean, we're like, we're launching our shop with merch tomorrow. We're doing a 420 class next uh, on Monday. All of these live classes and we're doing like we're launching all this content and the app is going to expand in all these really cool ways throughout the year and so I've just been like really stoked about that and and very excited about everything that I have this um cannabis policy initiative we go high I'm really excited about everything that we're working on and we're like stepping into this um project we call the cannabis census where we're going to just be taking the temperature of all cannabis users around the world and I'm really excited about all of those things and I think that that has buoyed me at this point through the uh through the uncertain aspects of the times in which we live and the um the the lack of certainty I think definitely has been throwing me for a loop. I like to know what's coming next. And um, right now I just don't. And so I find myself trying to let the real adventure just be getting comfortable with that, just not knowing what's coming next. But from what I do know and what I can say, the things that I'm looking forward to the most, like when quarantine is over, I'm just excited to like get together on a big group <laughs> with my friends. Me too. We're going to take the briefest of breaks. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Callie. Callie's going to ask no, We're going to ask you first. Then you're going to ask Callie. Then Callie's going to ask me what you watching. Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad-free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get one month free, go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. 
Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious and I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court puts stuff on their calendar, they use the word docket. So their Google calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have docket. We all have a docket. Sex. Welcome to my vagina. I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. (laughs) Scams. I'm Caitlin I'm Rodney Smith, <laughs> and, and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. Amazing. so smart. I mean, so smart. I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com. Hello. And we're back. I am here to find out, Jessamine Stanley, what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it is a broad question. We want to know what pop culture you're consuming. Books, movies, television, music, music videos, podcasts. If it is pop cultural and you're into it, it is probably cool. And we want to know about it. Jessamine, what you're watching. I'm streaming a lot of different things. Um, I'm watching The Outsider on HBO. I don't know if y'all have watched that. It's kind of scary. I'm pretty much always watching Gossip Girl and Mad Men and Jeopardy reruns. Like pretty much. XOXO. Like, I love that. That's right. Yes. I'm very slowly reading Channing Nicholas's book, uh, You Were Meant for This. Is that what it's called? You Were You Were Born for This. Recently, I've just been listening to a lot of music. I've been listening to a lot of Megan Thee Stallion. And I've been rereading um, uh, Bird by Bird by... And Lamont. What you watching? Callie, what you watching? Well, like a lot of us, all those um, night shows that are taping from home, which are pretty cute. SNL. Oh, yes. We know okay. Yeah, I love seeing A.D. Bryan's apartment. Pete Davidson's sketches are meh. It did sound like a Drake song, but like that was all his sketches are just like, yeah, nothing new. Um, I like that um, some good news with the dude from The Office. I was catching up on SVU, and did you know that John Waters was a guest? Yes, I was living for oh John God, Waters as a pornographer. Yeah. It's Ooh. the part. It was born it to was play. Amazing. I got really excited just seeing that. Oh, speaking of Megan the Stallion, she was on Good Girls. I'm still loving that show. And then because I was doing the archives for the Bust um, Patreon, I was going past all the old <laughs> What You Watchings. And as you know, I called you yesterday over one the elvis podcast about the the song that elvis never sung the same twice so i was deep diving on some elvis because Mm -hmm. of that and because dan zig is coming out with his elvis album finally at long last i facetime with my friend be fresh in boston to watch the entirety of the how to get revenge 
with Linda Blair, Blair YouTube video. Yes, it is a classic. Linda Blair of Exorcist fame made a VHS tape about how to get revenge on people. And you can find it on YouTube. Yes, she did. This revenge is so 80s. It's like, <laughs> find a, a gas pump cover with a lock on it. Take the key. And open their mail slot while they're on vacation and put their hose in it. Flood their house. Or put pancake batter in their car engine. Yeah, all their suggestions are fully illegal and will get you arrested. It was nuts. Emily, what have you been watching? I'm so glad you asked. I would like to devote this uh, episode's What You're Watching to the podcast that I've been listening to. First of all, I've been listening to Jessamine Stanley's podcast, Dear Jessamine. And while I was listening to it, I learned a new word, metamorph. Callie, do you, have you ever heard the word metamor nope, before? I mean, because I had not. So a metamor is like if you're in an open relationship and the person that is your paramour is boning someone else, yes. that someone else is your metamor. So you have your paramour and your metamor. And you might not have even met your metamor that your paramour is boning. But if you need a word to say, like, what do I call the person? <laughs> yeah, yes. what do I call the person that my lover is boning? Now there's a word for that. It is metamor, and I That's would not enough. have known it if I had not listened to Jessamine Stanley's podcast. Hey. I hate using so many words about polyamory, seriously. Like, metamor gets on my nerves. Polycule gets on my nerves. And I mean, I have... Wait, what's a polycule? A polycule is, it's basically like the constellation of people that you're involved with. Um, but yeah, so I, I use these words and I'm just like, I cannot... Oh, the word also that I really cannot with is thruple, which is... Ah! <laughs> Is three people in a couple? But wait, Jessamine, I need to ask you this. Did you ever watch that reality show on MTV where people were giving each other revenge <laughs> tattoos? Yeah, it was hosted by Snooki. Really? I miss and Snooks did? I'm very upset. I can And two people would come on the show with like some kind of a beef and they would punish each other by designing a tattoo that the other person had to get sight unseen and the person wouldn't know what their tattoo was until it was already on their body <laughs> and this these two girls i think they were co-workers at a strip club oh no! and they had some kind of a beef with each other and one of them had the other one get a tattoo just above her breast area so like if you were wearing a, a tank top it would show and it was Two women filleting a man, and then over it, it said, oh, it's called yes. How Far Is Tattoo Far? So there were two women filleting a man. This is tattooed on the woman's chest, and above it, it says, thruple or not? With a question mark. Really? Wow. She was in love with her co-worker, and that was her way of sort of proposing that they be in a thruple, was tattooing pornography <laughs> on her chest. It didn't go well. The answer was not. And the other podcast that I listened to that I that got me in my feelings, actually, it's a brand new podcast. It's called Are We on Air? It's hosted by Armand Nafay. And the premise of this podcast is he speaks to a special guest each week, only for about 20 minutes. And he talks to them about their life's journey. And each conversation is framed by 
five to seven questions where he encourages the interviewee to answer in the form of like a song choice. Like when you were living this part of your life, like what are there any songs that remind you of that time in, in your life? Mm. And the first episode he talked to Patty Smith, who's one of my favorite musicians of all time. And when she got to the part about being widowed young, and she was talking about missing her dead husband, who is Fred Sonic Smith from the MC five. And she was talking about, how every time she hears the song he's a rebel by the crystals she thinks Mm -hmm. of her husband and she i cried and Mm -hmm. it was like emotional but she she talks about you know like listening to madama butterfly as like a six-year-old and like Mm -hmm. understanding the power of music like every like you get to hear like a little beautiful capsule of her entire life just be like this series of songs and it's so beautiful. I, I really that. recommend it. The last thing I want to say, Callie already alluded to it. The Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page is out. And we need your help to make it uh, the robust community that it deserves to be. So basically, we're trying to keep Bust alive. and We hope that you'll be excited enough by the goodies that we have assembled in our Pop-Tarts Patreon to become patrons of Tarts. Callie and I have been giving you guys exactly what you have asked for, which is show notes with links to everything that everyone has been watching. So we have 80 episodes worth of show notes with links to everything that everybody has been watching. Everything that Janine Garofalo has been watching. Everything that Margaret Cho has been watching. Everything that Liz Winston has been watching. Everything that Rachel Dratch has been watching. Everything that Ricky Lake has been watching. If you're like listening to us while you're running or you're driving or you're not somewhere where you can write these things down and you're like, dang, I wish I had all those things at my fingertips. That is something that you can now have if you become a patron on Bust's Patreon page. We taped an amazing episode with Big Frida and you could get a Zoom chat with Callie and I. You could get a thank you note from us. You could get your name shouted out on, on one of our episodes. All of these things are incentives on different levels of patronage. If you just mosey on over to patreon.com slash podcast, you'll find all of those options there. Please consider helping us out however you can. We appreciate you. I would like to thank our producers, Jesse Karen and Kate Moldenauer at More Banana Productions. Of course, our luscious sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. <laughs> Muy caliente, Logan. And our girl gang at Bust Magazine, and our Patreon producer, Teresa Wilshire. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems and on Instagram at Rems Emily. You cannot find yep. Callie on the socials, yeah. so don't even try. She is stealth. <laughs> Jessamine, where can people find you on the social meds? You can find me on the social meds at my name is Jessamine on Instagram and pretty much everywhere except for Twitter, where I'm just not Jess. And if you want to learn more about the show, you can go to bust.com slash Pop-Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, we did it!